No. It's must. Even torturing you is boring. This is the small council. Hey, Craig, can you hear me? Uh, yep, no, I can. So weird. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, great. It's, oh, great. It's, oh, great. It's, oh, great. It's, it's echoing through my computer. Can you still hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Oh, God, I don't know what was going on. I had my headset on. It should have been running through my computer, but evidently it wasn't. So um, let me try to mute the computer real quick. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Whatever the case may be, I can see the switchboard and everything, and now I guess I guess we're good. So just to recap what I was saying, we're just going to kind of cover some of the top-tier meta lists. I think the the debate would be whether it's Night's Watch or Free Folk for the most part. Those seem to be the two that people struggle the most with, that people are kind of complaining the most about. And of them, who is the most powerful is is open for debate. Um, it sort of just depends, um, you know, who you're facing that's running those lists. Um, it's kind of an interesting time in the meta because I think, no, no, I can't say that because I, I think there was pretty heavy debate in 1.6, whether it was uh, Stark, Free Folk, or MOD that was the most oppressive to the meta. Regardless, we're gonna, you and I are kind of going to sit here and talk about some of the top meta lists, and then we'll go into some of the kind of dark horse list, some guys that don't get talked about a lot that I, I actually think have some answers for some of the top meta lists. Um, for Nightwatch in particular, there's a, there's a number of sort of dark horse skew builds that actually have a very good chance of disrupting Nightwatch and, you know, maybe even taking them down. So let's start with Free Folk. Let's start with Free Folk. Um, we don't want to turn this into kind of like a – a hate bashing episode. The idea of this is to kind of be somewhat constructive uh, and to give people some ideas on how to deal with it. And as you know, I go full troll, troll mode on Discord and say things like, well, you can't deal with it. You just have to decide when the chariot's going to one shot you and then you just die. And, you know, I say things like that. It's very, it's very tongue in cheek, but to some extent there, there's some truth behind that. Right. So, Let's just break what is the bones for the most powerful Free Folk list. Because I think with Free Folk, Nightwatch, and all of the top builds right now, um, in contrast to 1.6, there's a lot of flexibility. There's a lot of deviation. Um, I don't think there's just one Uber list that's always going to be the best choice. I think the bones for those lists exist, and then some of it's just kind of seasoned to taste. And it's a bit different from 1.6 because if you kind of deviated from the absolute recipe, you risk losing 
you know, just uh, tinkering around with a piece here and there was enough in 1.6 to make the list not work anymore. And by that, I mean, so you take something like the old Harma list that was an NSIG spam. If you took some of those insignificant units out, for example, and tried to tinker in and work in some followers of Bone, or you tried to work in a couple units of save, Cave Dweller Savages or something, the, the list went from being super effective to nowhere near as good. It, it, it created a soft spot. In this version, you're generally, I mean, Mance is the most powerful commander for Free Folk, arguably the most powerful commander in all of the game. Where does Mance go? You're going to see him in Trappers for the most part. That's kind of the, the list design that Mickey kind of took off and ran with, and it, it seems to be duplicated. But you will also see him in Thins from time to time, and occasionally, very occasionally, followers of both. For the most part, it's going to be Trappers. From there, you're always going to have Torment Raiders. Um, I hate saying auto-include and things like this, but I just don't see a competitive Mance list that doesn't have Torment in, in Raiders. That's for five points, you get five plus defense, three plus morale if you stay by Mance, and Warcry on a three plus. Then from there, you can use coordination tactics to loan the Warcry and Stalwart, so you're getting up to eight Warcries in a game, nine if you bring Jon Snow's NCU and, and grab that third coordination tactic. So uh, you're always seeing Mance, and then you're always seeing Torment. From, and one Trojan Shore Chariot is mandatory. Do you go into double trappers, uh, trappers with Mance, trappers by themselves? Do you do trappers with Mance, raiders with Baroque? So you have two units that have three-plus morale. Um, some of those things are, are kind of your flex piece. And then as far as NCUs, by far the most popular is three NCU, but I have seen two NCU variants that do pretty well. Um, you're going to see Lady Val. She's a staple for free folk near auto include craster has become auto include because of his once per game and his ability to heal off of any zone in particular for that frozen short chariot and then you're going to see typically he uh maybe john snow the i think he's the crow come over or the turn cro- turn cloak turn cloak crow one of those sub names but it's john snow into you you might see uh dire as well uh, depending on the list and then mixed in with some of these possibilities, you'll either see six infantry units or you might see four infantry units in Magnemite. Normally, there's a Finn in there somewhere. Did the Finns have Harma? Are you putting Harma and Raiders to transfer her over? Are the Finns naked? The, the Finns and Tormund are your big targets for coordination tactics. You either want a war cry or you want to duplicate hold the line for a unit that's engaged. Chariot is always the mop-up slash big can opener with there's too many. And the rest is, I mean, it's season to taste. There's, there really are a lot of ways that you can go with this build, and it has the tendency to work with various pieces. So uh, in your experience, is that what you're running into? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, and then you mentioned coordination tactics. Uh, last night I was playing against a man's player, and he used coordination tactics from a chariot. Um, he took their abilities, gave it to the Thens, and then charged me in the flank. So it was a chariot charge in the flank with seven dice instead of four. It was it was a bit uncomfortable. Well, he cheated because coordination tactics only works between two infantry units. Ah, well, there you go. <laughs> so, yeah, I could see that being... 
like worse than than what we saw with the spear wise before, right? Because the chariot would also transfer the plus one hit for each rank in the defender's unit. So you could that could turn into ten hits with thundering vicious. Yeah, thankfully, yes, thankfully they had the you know ability to see that giving coordination tactics to any two units could get pretty out of hand. You could take the mag's no defensive save, for example, and, and give it to a unit of raiders. And now <laughs> here come raiders carrying this big giant club somehow, and they're whacking the out of you. So, no, it only works between the <laughs> infantry. Um, ah, good. Again, most of the time you're seeing it to duplicate war cry if you draw into it early before engagement happens. My time as a free folk player, if I drew it early, yeah, sure, I'll go ahead and war cry with Tormund because I have other high-priority cards. I try to play through the Free Folk deck when I play Free Folk. I try to just burn through it as fast as I can because it's a quality deck, and with Mantis cards, you've got 20 damn good cards. So I don't want to hold on to cards. I want to play through them as fast as I can. So um, ideally, though, for coordination tactics, it's late game. It's late game. You, I send my Raiders into you. My Raiders have three ranks. Maybe you've done some, done some wear and tear. You've... Um, You've got my fins down a little bit, and then uh, I want my full unit of raiders to charge you, and then opening the next round, I'm just going to use coordination tactics, borrow hold the line, give you five hits, maybe I retreat, and when you move, I trap you. Or I just try to attack you if I have theirs too many. So we, it will be here all day if we go into all of the various combos, all of the various things that people can do that makes them really good. But I think, I think what we want to do is kind of laser focus in on the things that are going to cost you the game. Focus in on the things that are going to destroy you and get rid of your key unit or otherwise just render you ineffective to the point where you can't kill anything and they beat you by playing the mission. So I'll give my humble opinions on this, and then you guys can kind of give your take. We, we do have days with us now as well. So in my opinion... As far as what am I going to kill, what is the most dangerous thing, how should I go about this? I think for the most part, unless the opponent makes a mistake and, and puts the chariot in a vulnerable position, for the most part, when they're playing really well, they're going to block the chariot from being charged. It's not super hard to do because it's a small footprint on the front. And it can be difficult to really lap around it and get to the flank because they're dropping five infantry units for the most part. And then it becomes six, seven with the endless hordes. So the flanks are kind of short up. You're not just going to be able to lap around and get a flank shot on that chariot. So I think to some extent, chasing the chariot can be an exercise in foolishness. Uh, you're most likely not going to be able to get to it. That said, of course, you need to kill the chariot. The chariot is their primary damage dealer. The chariot, hidden traps, defense, those are the damage dealers. That is exacerbated by Tormund's war cry because you're pretty much guaranteed to be panicked and vulnerable because he's war crying on a three. If they drop a weirwood tree, he's war crying on a two. So Tormund is kind of like the, the fuel that makes the engine go. And then the pistons are the, you know, the fins and the chariots. They're the ones that physically do the damage, but it's all enabled by Warcraft. So in my opinion, Tormund is target priority number one. That's just my experience, my opinion. Tormund is normally 
the quote-unquote handle of the, of the list. He's the one that they kind of stick out because 5 plus 3 plus is actually pretty darn defensive. It's very difficult to get him to fail panic, and pushing through 12 wounds just on raw damage is going to be pretty difficult. So I believe that Tormund is target number one. If you can kill Tormund, you get rid of Warcry. Hopefully they don't have a regroup and reform to get him out of danger. Just go in there, try to get rid of Tormund. Don't foolishly go in there, but if you've got some range shots and you've got, a, a, you know, you've got choices of who to shoot, I would prioritize Tormund even over the Trapper. That's just my opinion. From there, it's kind of a game of where's Karma. You've got to get rid of Karma, particularly if she's in thin. You don't want a Sentinel into you for the free charge, activate, and then hold the line. You're looking at seven dice with re-rolls when she charges you, and then hold the line is probably five hits, and then seven more dice. It's very difficult to get to that. So you've got to get rid of Tormund. You've got to get rid of Karma. From there, you can start to kind of get the chariot to go in places that it doesn't want to go. You've reduced the efficacy of um, there's too many by getting rid of some of the bodies. But just overall, that's what I would do. I would personally just try to go after Tormund without putting yourself in a really bad position where you're going to get countercharged by Thins and a Chariot because then you just lost. So um, a range, ranged attack is still very, very strong against them. If you can soften Tormund, get him down to six, seven, five, six, seven wounds, then you can send a unit in on a charge to take them out and, and surge force back away from their lines. I think that's about the best way to handle it. Uh, what, what do you think? Yeah, sorry. Um, lost my train of thought there. It's going down a hill in a semi. Um, okay, so I agree with you. Um, so you're going to get charged by the chariot. They're going to have more activations than you. They're going to have Val to be able to outmaneuver you and wait and then outmaneuver and then hit you. And so something I have been trying to do lately is using terrain to my advantage. Um, terrain like forests, low walls, things like that, stakes even. Park behind them, and then you cancel that sundering. Um, if you can get a weekend on them, even better. But if you can cancel that sundering, then the odds of them one-shotting you goes down quite a bit. Um, if you can use a low wall and they lose their rerolls too, then they might do three to four wounds to you, and you just kind of laugh at them. Um, if you can park yourself behind stakes, they're not going to charge you, and if you do, you sneeze on them and they die. And that's how I've been kind of dealing with chariots lately, and I've had some success with that. But it requires patience. And depending on the scenario, you could get yourself in trouble if you're just sitting behind terrain while your opponent's scoring. Um, but as, as far as target priority goes, if, if the chariot, if there's even a chance you can kill the chariot, you have to. Um, otherwise, you're right. Go after Tormund. Go after Harma. What I always try to do is I always try to kill the stuff that's worth that's worth victory points first. Um, so I can uh, maybe get a little bit of a lead while taking out key, key points of their uh, faction, of their list. And if you can do that, and then all of a sudden they're left with raiders, even if they have two free raiders, the raiders will probably fall apart. As long as you didn't kill yourself in the process. Um, yeah, I, th I think as that's far pretty valid. Go ahead. 
the, the Raiders function as a battery and really um, I can't think of the, the the word I'm looking for. Like, uh, um, yeah, they're they're a battery for the other units, but they also serve as like a. Um, oh, I can't think of the word, and it's driving me crazy. Like a lightning rod, I guess, for for the abilities from the other units. So you want to pass Raiders, hold the line. You want to pass Raiders, Mantis counter strategy. You want them there as bodies for theirs too many. But as far as the fighting goes, yeah, like Raiders can charge Ranger Hunters and get them, you know, three, four, five wounds. But overall, Raiders are not the fighters. Raiders are just there to take the abilities from the other units and magnify them even more by duplicating them. And, of course, they're there to get activation and gain that activation parity to where the bigger pieces can do what they need. Yeah, and, and as far as endless horde, endless horde goes, uh, you mentioned it last time we talked, and that was taking the horse to, to delay it. You know, unless you're fishing, for, you're a Targaryen, and you're fishing for field control, or you're fishing for counterplot and hoping you get it before they can play it. Um, it's it's also an exercise in futility. All you're doing is killing your own momentum unless you need the horse anyway. So I'm at the point now too where I just ignore it, and if they've got it, they've got it, and if they don't, they don't. That's that's their problem. I'm just going to play my game. Vanilla Unit Raiders comes in. Uh, it's only a problem if I haven't killed all their key units yet. So, Other than that, what about, what about, it really doesn't affect the game much. What about you, Dave, uh, as far as target priority goes? I, I wasn't trying to cut you off, Craig. I just want to make sure that we can cover as much of this as we can, and right. I, I know that I can be both like myself, but I just want to keep it moving along so we can cover all of the, the ideas that we want to cover. Uh, what about you, Dave? Target priority when you're facing free folk or you as a free folk player because you're raggedy. Um, <laughs> what, is, what, what do you not want to lose? What screws you the most when you lose it? Uh, can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Okay. Uh, so, sorry for the sound quality. Currently driving to a Backstreet Boys concert um, for work, you know, but not really for work, but for work. Um, as far as target priority, what I hate when people attack, uh, you know, because normally I, I run kind of a mixture of lists, but we'll we'll stick to kind of more of the, the Mance style list. Um, I think I already mentioned it, but my list is going to be, um, you know, Mance and some Trappers. Got, uh, you know, three units of Raiders, uh, two with uh, Walrus Chieftains, one with Mance, or sorry, Mance, uh, Tormund. Uh, got a unit of Fens with Harma, and then I got uh, a unit of Followers with um, a Champion of Bone or a, uh, the attachment, the one-point attachment. I would say as far as, like, let's say uh, in particular a list like that, um, hitting my uh, sends so that I can't sentinel, uh, trying to get into a position to charge them so that way, I, one, I can't sentinel, uh, two, you're going to, you know, weaken out the unit because even though sends are, pretty defensive for a free folk unit. They're just moderately defensive uh, for most other factions. I would also say uh, probably the number one target for my list in particular would be the followers of Bone. 
Um, if they're outside of Mansa's bubble, uh, in particular, they're pretty flimsy as far as units go, and you know they're they're kind of my linchpin for the wombo combo that I've mentioned before between them and uh, playing theirs too many, basically one-shotting almost anything in the game uh, if they charge you and then can throw that card at you. Um, so those uh, by far uh, are the top two. And then uh, kind of as you were mentioning, the next on the list would be the, uh, um, you know, Tormund for that war cry. But I think in my list it's a little less important, but it's still very good. Obviously, it's in my list. Uh, but um, for me, because it's still a raider unit, um, attacking my raiders, number one thing, I you know, bottom of the list for me, especially in my list uh, with the two walrus chieftains. I mean, if they're within Mansa's bubble, good luck killing that unit in, you know, in any time at all. Like, it's going to take you a minimum three turns to kill that unit, uh, and congratulations, you earned zero uh, victory points for doing so, and it was a five-point unit. So um, I would say try, you know, as best you can, because obviously they have a lot of activations, you know, try to outmaneuver and get into a position to make sure that you're uh, doing the charging and picking what's facing what, because uh one thing the free folk will want to do with their superior activations is play in such a way that they're picking what is going to fight what. Uh, and sometimes you might have to give up a, you know, uh, what you would normally do is wait, you know, for your opponent to make a move so that you can counter move. Sometimes you just got to go in there. Sometimes you have to, if even if it may let their rare unit, charge into you and do something you didn't want them to do, but if it means you could then charge my sends and or followers of bone to get that charge off and really start to put the damage in on those units, that would probably be better than just waiting around for me to just do what I wanted to do anyways. Fair enough. So we'll, we'll move on from that topic. Um, then we'll kind of just move on to general tactics that you can use to kind of help try to mitigate some of the things they want to do. The observation that I'll make is a number that you just need to keep in mind, um, six inches. <clears throat> and I, I'm not talking about uh, manhood here. Six, that was six inches. So the six inches is for there's too many, and the six inches is for Mance's counter strategy. Don't forget that man's has counter strategy. Um, I've seen people face it. Uh, you don't want to try to use your relentless. You don't want to try to use any of your good orders because the free hole player has not forgotten that man's has counter strategy, and he's probably waiting on you to use that order to use his counter strategy. So uh, you want to – this is difficult because you want to kill the unit – to get their activation countdown. But you also want to try to stay away from that six-inch bubble of death. If you can force them to either not play there's too many when they attack you or to get them to play there's too many when it's only like a minus two plus two or even a minus one plus one, that's, that's some level of winning there. Um, but also just in general, I think the mistake playing into free folk is thinking like, oh, well, I have to go kill something, 
So I'm just going to take my Claydman, I'm going to charge into them, and I hope that I one-shot them. If that if that's your strategy, like, not to sound rude or anything, but that's a terrible idea. That's, that's, that's a strategy to lose. Yeah, hypothetically, your Claydman could spike enough damage to kill them. Even if there's war cry involved from, like, poor fellows or from, you know, um, your she-bears or whatever we're talking about, you don't you don't want to just willy-nilly charge in and hope that you one-shot something. Not only because you've got units that have morale 3, but even the morale 5 from Mance, it makes them a little bit worse than 50-50, but it, it's a dice game. It can happen. They can pass. They can pass on an 8. You know, you get into like 10s, 11s, 12s with panic tokens, they can still pass. It's incredibly rare. But passing an 8, even with a panic token, it's not really that rare. Because if they roll like a 6 and a 4, then it's, it's like, well, do I make them re-roll the whole thing? Or do I just have them re-roll a 6? And it can happen. You can pass those panic tests. And if they don't fail the panic test, you're not one-shotting them. Then from there, they can drop diversion tactics. They can play Sentinel from Harma. Or they can just basically surround you and use your own unit to block you from charging them. That's a situation that sucks. It's like, I charged, and then they just worked around my unit, used my own unit to block me away from charging them, so now I can't even do anything to attack them, and my unit's surrounded on three sides, and it's going to die. So definitely you don't want to do that. You need, I think you need to have some degree of ranged attacks or some way of doing remote damage. Um, I don't think, like, a double mill is a good way of dealing with free folk because I don't think they do enough damage to get through the craft or heals and, and really just enough damage for it to matter. One version of Melisandre I don't think is overkill, and it's, really, it's, it's a good way to take a unit that's on the outside and get some wounds off of them. Are you going to mill bomb Foreman to get him to fail when he's on a three? Mel makes it a five? Probably not. Do you have a chance to do some wounds to Thens and knock them down? Because they'll be testing on a 7. Sure, you could. Um, the Chariot's usually not in the man's bubble. It goes to a 7 as well. You're not going to kill it in one shot, and it's probably going to be healed back up. I probably wouldn't bother trying to Melbomb the Chariot. I would Melbomb something that doesn't have Stalwart plus man. Try to get them down to, you know, 7, 8 wounds, and then maybe you can finish them off with an, a range shot or at least put them in a position to where they're nearly ineffective. Knock them down to two or three wounds, now you can charge them. But as far as just opening up like a cowboy and just charging in because you can, it's a terrible idea. Even with Drogo Flademan, it's not a good idea. Um, you're just going to get surrounded. They have too many ways to counter you. Um, odds are if you're opening with a charge, they probably still have Lady Vol to maneuver and then Again, if you're that close to three units, you're in prime range for a there's-too-many bomb, which can come even from the crown. So you don't want to do that. Uh, you've got to soften them up. So hidden traps, ranged attacks, particularly Lannister crossbowmen and Lightbringers, I think probably give free folk the most fit because things like Greyjoy bows, Night's Watch crossbows, and Stark archers are five and six defense. So when you shoot into them, if you get trapped, you're likely to take as many wounds as you dealt to them. 
but at least with the Lightbringers having four-plus defense and Lannister crossbows having four-plus defense, you don't have to take that many wounds from hidden traps. And then you pressure the free folk to come to you. And that can be another very good strategy of dealing with free folk. Give them a reason to come to you. Put some pressure on them and make them move into you, and then you're not playing their game. If they, if you don't have any ways of doing remote damage or range damage, you're playing exactly the game they want. You're going into their bubble, into their side of the table, where they have a whole bunch of friends, and it's just a bad situation. Greg, what what do you think? What um, I know you haven't lost every game to free folk, so what are some of the recipes for success that you've had that you that you can share on and give some of these folks that maybe haven't really seen free folk lists like this played? How would you suggest that they approach it? Well, can you hear me? Yeah. Uh, like I said, terrain. Um, you're going to take that charge from the chariot. Um, if you can limit it using terrain, uh, weakened tokens, things like that. If if you can blunt that charge and then kill it, you're you're golden. So sometimes you got to dangle the golden carrot out there too, like um, a, a heavy defensive unit. Um, well, I shouldn't say a defensive unit. A unit that they don't want to have you charging them with, be it Tully Gav or Castle Rock or Flayed Men. If you just kind of dangle them out there a little bit and be like, hey, I'm going to charge you unless you charge me, and especially if you're sitting on that piece of terrain and force that chariot into you, then you can swing back and kill it. Or they have to do something to try to block you, um, stuff like that. Uh, just kind of kind of uh, be patient. Don't rush in there, like Brett said, and let them come to you. Force them to come to you while applying pressure at the same time. Um, otherwise, if you let them be patient, they're just going to slowly creep up, and they're whole, next thing you know, you've got five units around you, and you're failing there's too many. Um, something else I suggest is having a small, um, like a solo cavalry unit, whether it be a dire wolf or a, um, a Jora or, you know, so, so, something of that vein, um, Harakars, chariot of your own if you're free folk and something cheap something small something fast and the purpose of it outside of what it does already in your list is that if you are engaged and they are creeping that chariot around to kill you and you're not going to be able to get your prize unit out of the way you can throw that two three or that three four point unit in the way suck up the activation it's gonna suck but hopefully then you can save your far more important unit Uh, from that flank charge or rear charge or whatever it may be. Um, And then always have your units supporting each other. Uh, I mentioned dangling that carrot out there. We'll have one or two units slightly behind that carrot. Like, yeah, okay, you charge me because you have to, and then I countercharge you. Um, And pack your units in such a way that they aren't too close together that you can't maneuver yourself. But have them close enough that it's going to be a lot harder to be engaged with multiple enemy units. Um, force, you know, force if you can keep it down to one unit that you're engaged with, that limits some of their cards too. 
Um, so kind of just protect yourself that way, kind of fighting a clump, kind of like they do, if that makes sense. Another thing I've done is quite the opposite, where I've spread the whole table out, and I'll put something uh, really juicy on, like I'll put my main force on the left and something really juicy on the right all by itself. But that's strong enough that one unit of raiders can't kill it. And so what the enemy has to do then is decide whether they're going to let that one that lone unit score or if they're going to go gang up on it and kill it. But if they gang up on it and kill it, then they're not ganging up on the rest of your force, and then you can pick them apart that way. You can kind of force them to spread out, or you can score free points. So that's that's kind of how I've been doing it lately, and I've had a little bit of success. I've lost some too, though. What about you, Dave? What, what uh, attacks have been effective against you? Um, I I mean, I don't know if I've ever lost a game with Free Folk, but I've also never played Free Folk at a main event, so I'm purely speaking from casual-ish slash, uh, like, a tournament, like, a monthly tournament at my local shop. Uh, so, but I have faced plenty of Free Folk in com- uh, competitive events with my Greyjoys and Starks, um, I would say, uh, with that said, um, what I've done in the past is Free Folk's always been kind of that faction that's been very unique, um, that a lot of times I will actually build a list. Like, my second list will a lot of times just be tailored to face board. But not necessarily free folk, I should say, but I'll have one list that's just like, okay, if you're a horde faction, uh, you know, you're probably going to do pretty bad uh, because my list is just tailored to beat you. Um, for Grey Joys, that would be my Victorian list that has six combat units and three NCUs um, so that other, uh, other than them getting uh, um, Endless Horde, I'm matching them uh, activation for activation. Um you know, if you're playing Baratheons and or I guess technically you could also be anyone who has Final Strike, you know, trying to save that Final Strike is like one of the perfect answers for the Chariot. You know, that Chariot's going to come in hard and fast, hit you for a lot, and then try think it's going to uh, retreat away. And you can play that Final Strike regardless if they retreat or not because of the timing. I believe both happen at the same time. They retreat, they move their distance, and then they're going to take X amount of hits with possibly a minus one. So if you're Baratheons, if you have the crown when they do it, um, they're going to be taking all these hits back at minus one, and you could just pop the chariot uh, just from that alone. So always keep that in mind if you're uh, if you're a Baratheon player. Try to save it. I know that card can be useful in a lot of situations, but in particular that chariot's very, you know, it's, it's going to be trying to get away from you. Uh, and it's going to be hard to pin it down. So something like Funnel Strike or even a similar effect uh, to just pop it out of nowhere um, would be, like, the best in that scenario. But I would say um, do your best to avoid the Raiders. Uh, you know, sometimes it's inevitable, but uh, sometimes wasting all those attacks, time, energy into a unit that's going to give you no victory points uh, isn't really worth it. 
Now, attacking them if they're on an objective and potentially taking them off that objective or even just contesting the objective so that they don't control it is worth it. But if it's just a raider unit that's just there to harass you, it's best to, you know, sometimes it's even best not even to attack the thing and just use your activation or run away. Uh, but, you know, it, it all depends on the scenario and what the situation is. But it's something to keep in mind that, you know, you got to ask yourself, is, is the time and energy to attack this unit worth it? So um, I would say uh, another thing that has worked for me is, um, is like you were saying, Brett, just you really have to think about what they may have like a lot of a lot of their stuff requires um you know and i guess i'm in reference to like the, the six inch member to remember like how far away certain units are to really try to get into the head of your opponent and see what they may have um free folk are in a weird spot where they you know you don't have to be some super expert level player to play them but they do require a certain level of uh, positioning and like tactic uh, that sometimes that itself can um, show your player's hand you know depending on the way they are positioning things you know because sometimes they may try to position them so that you're going to charge into them and you know if they're like making sure that like you know, everything's within six inch of a certain unit that isn't Mance or something that doesn't need to be within six of, the, of that unit, but that unit's what they want you to charge. You know, it, there's a lot of little stuff like that just to keep an eye out for and um, to kind of, uh, you know, to watch out for. And then as far as, like, Endless Horde, I heard uh, when I got in, like, when you guys were talking about uh, not even, like, bothering with the horse. I would say it really depends on your NCUs. If you have a, a good NCU that can replace a zone, I know being Greyjoys, I'm fairly privileged with having Windermere to replace a zone. I think it's more than worth it to plop that bad boy on the maneuver zone whenever you can. Just replace it with a, with a Windermere token for later. Um, but even if, you know, you have some other replace effect, I think delaying the inevitable is still, you know, delaying a whole activation um, is still good. Uh, you know, it's, I would uh, agree in the sense that it's not so pivotal that you have to, like, stress over it. But I think, you know, if you got that effect and that zone's open and you think they might have it, why not throw it on there and delay it for another round and uh, see where it goes. Okay. Yep. So we'll we'll move on from free folk. I'm just going to give a couple of um, couple of final little tips here. I think one underrated counter to free folk is uh, Tycho. Um, I know he's five points now. He can be difficult to work into the list, but a lot of times that big there's too many bomb takes you down to one or two wounds if it doesn't one shot you. If you've got Tycho to give that unit new life, there is validity to free folk running out of resources, right? They, they've, they've got two, there's too many. Uh, they've only got two, maybe three, if they're running John coordination tactics. They can only do their tricks so many times. Yes, they're scary. Yes, they hit hard. Yes, they're normally going to kill you. But the two games where I played Night's Watch into free folk, if I had Tycho instead of Apple, I know the Tim 
temptation is to try to soften units up with offal or finish the, the just barely hanging on units with offal. If I had Tyco when Bob charged me with the fins and did 11 wounds, I could have just brought that unit back up to six, made an attack, gotten out of there, and I had to take the black in hand, which could have brought that unit back up to 10. So Tyco can be a very, very big deal. Um, I think he's a good kind of a good strategy to use against them. The other one that almost seems counterintuitive, and I know not everyone has an ability like Swift Strike, if you can, avoid staying engaged with people. If you take your army and just line up across from them and your entire army is engaged trying to grind them out, you're enabling, hold the line, you're enabling them to get around and behind you. But worst of all, when man drops down predictable maneuvers, if it's your last activation and you're engaged, you don't have a choice but to make an action. You're giving them whatever they want from, from predictable maneuvers. It's very important to not let every unit be engaged, if at all possible. I know when you're disengaged, they can trap you. That's what they want. You have to kind of find balance it. You have to kind of fine tweak it. There's a, a line where you do want to be engaged and not get trapped, but also you can't have everything engaged because you're opening up doors for them to do a ton of damage to you that way. Um, so we'll move on from we'll move on from free folk now, and, and we'll go into the next big bad, which is Night Watch. Uh, for the most part, you're going to see. I think the most common list pairing is one list that has double Ranger Hunters, one list that has one or two Sworn Brothers. The Ranger Hunters are there to deal with like Greyjoys, deal with free folk, just throw out a massive number of attacks with eight or nine activations, and just try to get you that way. The Sworn Brothers are meant to grind. Um, most of the time, you're going to see John in at least one list. Is John crazy overpowered? Mm, I don't know. Is he a good choice? Yes. Rally Cry is very important. Um, I think when you're facing Night's Watch, similar to the Mance thing, I, I think the temptation is to try to get rid of the unit with the Watch Captain. I think the most important unit to kill in a John list is John. I say that because Rally Cry is a big deal. Um, there are rounds where John can potentially attack three times with melee. Um, granted, if they take the horse and pour the watch into you uh, and stay engaged, you probably want to take the swords away. There might be a case where you want to take the bags instead or another zone. But... Um, Really, it's not uncommon for John to attack twice with melee. It can happen three times, depending on the situation. Uh, if he attacks three times in a round, he's healed somebody six wounds. If he attacks twice, it's still four wounds that are being healed. But even more so than that, typically these lists are two infantry units, maybe three, and then there's a solo, maybe there's some trackers and things like that. John's death works for Night's Watch units or for the Watch, and it needs a strong you, you don't want to put for the watch on full hand. It's pretty wasted. It hinges on John because it shall not end is an okay-ish card. It becomes pretty good when it's on John, though, because he gets the extra two dice. Stand United Brothers is pretty darn good. It's exponentially better when you're using it on John because John, you can do the 
remove zero heal two to John's unit. If you can get rid of John, and the only other unit that they have is ranger hunters and like ranger trackers, and then they've got ghosts and cold hands, you have to remove models to heal anything. If you kill John, leave them just with the ranger hunters and those cab units and those solos, Stand United kind of goes out the door. You have to kill Ghost or Cold Hands to restore one wound. You have to kill a whole tracker model to restore one. So I think that while killing the Watch Captain is great because they lose two activations, if you have a choice, I would I think that killing John is more important. Um, I've had games where they crippled the Watch Captain unit, but John brought them back to life with Rally I've had games where John was holding on by a thread and I was able to heal him up four, five, six of Stan United Brothers and give him a new on life. If John said a lot of that deck falls apart, a lot of that strategy and synergy falls apart, they need that rally cry to keep those ranger hunters filled up. That, that's my take on that. Um, and then just fighting Nightwatch in general, it can be... I'm not going to say that it's easy because you can get into a really crappy spot. If they've got now his watch has ended out and they've just recklessly charged cold hands into you, charge cold hands into your Drogo Flade men, charge cold hands into your Champions of the Shag, charge cold hands into your Tully Cap, your Knights of Castle Rock, whatever it is, I'm, as a Knight Clutch player, I'm going to charge cold hands into that unit. I'm going to try to tie them up. I'm going to force you to take the maneuver zone to retreat away from them to get your charge. That gives me another turn to kind of regroup and figure out how I'm going to deal with that unit. Um, but more importantly, if you're engaged with that, with cold hands and it's transparent, now his watch is ended, it's out and it's attached. Now you have to, now you have to really sit and think, is it worth it to kill this unit and trigger watches ended? When's the best time to do that? The, the, the kind of priority of things want to do tends to be, hey, the swords are open because he just charged me. I want to take the swords and kill cold hands right now, and then my unit's free. If you do that, whoever has watches ended, maybe they haven't activated. Maybe they're in your flank, and they're going to shoot you. Maybe they're out of position, and they're going to march into position. It's something you really have to consider. And as far as that one goes, it's kind of just a crappy play. It's like predictable maneuvers. Because you really can't do much about it. Um, so you have to, you really have to sit and think, is this worth it? Is it worth it to kill this unit right now? Or do I kind of just say, well, cold hands isn't that scary. I'm not going to take the swords and kill cold hands. I'm going to wait until the end of the round, or at least until the unit from Watch is ended, is as big of a threat. Um, that's kind of a tough one when, when facing Night Watch, John in particular. Um, and then there's always the possibility that John can stand united, kill cold hands, and trigger it anyway. So that's always the thing to keep in mind. If watches ended is out, and John has stand united brothers in hand, at, in, at the start of any turn, he can just kill cold hands himself, trigger watches ended, do what you want. So those are things to keep in mind when playing against John. Um, other than that, Night's Watch, particularly the double ranger hunters, but even the Sworn Brothers to some extent. You can't recklessly go into Sworn Brothers and only do a couple of wounds and then be engaged with Sworn Brothers and have Watch Captain and just let him blend you to pieces. But at the same time, the way to deal with Night Watch is to hit them, hit them, 
hit them and keep hitting them. Focus on one unit and get rid of those units because typically there's two to three good units. Maybe one or two of those good units is going to be really, really good. If you can get rid of their best units, you've got a good chance to kind of snowball and toss them again. Uh, anybody, Dave, Craig, I don't know who's driving and who's available right now. If any of you want to add anything to that, to, to the night watch thing that I said there. Um, yeah, kill John. Yeah, I agree. Do that. And then just, you know, take a moral victory, even though you're still going to lose. And then, uh, you know, it's a good game. <laughs> no, I think, I think it, it's, it's beatable. It's definitely beatable. Kill John, and in so doing, you've probably killed one. There's usually two scary units and then a bunch of support. So if you kill one of the two scary units and do it quickly, um, or at least have some sustain, some healing, some something, so that you didn't lose half your army in the process, then you'll be just fine. Because once you kill one, you can usually gang up on the other, and then they start to crumble fast. Yeah, and then, and then then the other thing is playing around Amon. I know that people complain about the Amon bomb. Well, it doesn't matter because Amon's just going to heal him back six, and and everything that I did is just gone. Yeah. When the Night Witch player goes first and takes the bags with Amon, yes, they're going to heal six. They probably left the swords open for you. As the person playing Night Watch, playing against Night Watch, you have to try to be aware of that. And put yourself in a favorable position. If you know that they're going first and you know that they're going to heal with the Amon bomb, get a unit in position, whether it's like Greyjoy archers in the flank, or if it's Outriders in their flank, or it's Drogo in combat. You can almost undo that Amon heal if you if they're going to give you the sword. Nightwatch has no place to disrupt the tactic board. Nightwatch only has Malister to really disrupt anything. There's no real control in Nightwatch, so it's not like they can Varus the swords like, like I used to do when I played Nightwatch in 1.6. I, I ran Varus with Nightwatch because they have no control. They never have. Um, now that's not even an option. So if they take the bags and Amon bomb, you've got the sword, so you can do something with it. At the very least, you can try to erase what Amon healed, because realistically, Amon only ever heals three wounds at once. You, you you think of the Amon to the bag play as six, but Amon did three. The bag did the other three. Um, so if you can take those three wounds away that Amon healed, then you pretty much just canceled out what Amon did. Yes, they still healed with the bag. Yes, Night's Watch units can be difficult to get rid of. But um, another thing I'll say is when you when you decide to attack Night's Watch, you need to be aware. They don't have control, but they do have Watcher on the Wall. Watcher on the Wall is a card that, as a Night's Watch player, I want to get out as early as possible and just get rid of it. The initial effect isn't great. There are situations, since you can pivot, 
that, you know, I can turn my sworn brothers around to charge you when I couldn't before. That's nice. Is the two-inch shift, like, game-breaking? No, not really. Um, the pivot is nice, but you also can't pivot back after you shift. So there's that. But it's, it's the plus one speed and the reroll charge distance is why I want Watcher on the wall. So in round one, if I'm holding three cards, four cards, five cards, and I haven't played anything, I probably don't have Watches ended or I would have gotten it out of my hand. There's a chance that I have shields or watcher, and if you you're kind of doing me a favor if you just take a crappy pot shot like oh well I've got this unit of archers in range I may as well shoot uh, six dice on fours to the front uh, probably seems like not a terrible play but if I have shield of the realms of men and watcher in my hand and you attack me in round one like thank you Jesus. Uh, now I just now I can cycle through my deck faster. I've got shields out. Now it's working, and I've got Watcher out. So thank you very much for that. Um, if, if you if you can get Nightwatch to hold cards, you're probably doing yourself a favor. Their deck maybe not quite as gas as some of the other decks, but universally useful. Yeah, but you can control to some extent when those cards come into play. And I, I, it, it's kind of similar to Freefall. Is it smart to charge Lannister Guardsmen into John Hunters that I put up there on purpose next to that tree so that you would charge me? Probably not. <laughs> like, if I put John in range to be charged and I specifically put him on a tree, I probably wanted you to do it because I probably have shield and or watcher. It's just something to keep in mind. Uh, it's not necessarily the best play because you might let me get through my deck. If you make me throw away Watcher on the Wall to fish for, for the Watch or Sword in the Darkness, I'm a little bit sad that I didn't get to play it. And it's probably better for you that I don't get Watcher out early. Yeah, and one more thing to note. Um, now we've talked about Night's Watch and Free Folk both. And I believe you pointed out to me yesterday that they are the top two factions on stats. And the one, uh, one thing they have in common is that neither of them are beholden to a tactic zone. Um, for example, Starks need the swords of the horse for this or that. Uh, Free Folk don't. Uh, Night's Watch don't. Uh, that's something else to keep in mind, too. They have an inherent advantage there that they can take the zones that they need as they need them and not worry about taking zones in order to benefit their tactic deck. With yeah, and it, it's that endless horde. It's, it's absolutely a valid point, and it's, it's something that I was kind of thinking about. Like, um, Baratheons are up there fairly high, and they're highly reliant on two zones. And they're kind of the exception to that rule, but the factions that really, really, really rely on zones for their cards to work are kind of struggling. Um, Lannisters are surging a little bit, but, like, if you've ever played against Lannisters and they don't have Joffrey, like, subjugation of power, if you if you take the crowns and bags, is crap. Um, counterplot doesn't get that reroll. It's not necessarily crap, but when they control the crown, it's a big deal. Um, you know, and, yeah, like you said, Nightwatch, when I play Nightwatch, I don't care. I don't need swords to get the extra dice from uh, Sword in the Darkness. I don't need bags to get the block one from... Uh, Shield of the Realms of Men. I don't need the zones for anything. So I can just play whatever zones are most convenient for me, and it's not going to mess with my deck. Um, it's, 
a pretty nice luxury. It's it's not why I play Nightwatch, but it, it, it is a nice luxury to have. Um, trying to play to those zones is a big deal because it also gives me the freedom, if I want to play this way, it gives me the freedom if I'm playing Baratheon or if I'm playing Lannister. I have the freedom to take those away from you that you need. Um, do I normally do that? Not really. Um, Final Strike for me sucks whether you have the crown or not. <laughs> you know, I've got craft defense. So, is the minus one really that game breaking? No, you'll. You're, I, I assume you're going to get a crap ton of wounds from it anyway. But um, you know, there can be merit as a, a, a strategy to take those zones away that that people need. I think we lost Dave. I'm still here. Yeah, did you want to add anything to it? Because I, I think we probably need to probably need to go ahead and move on to Baratheon because we're about an hour into the show and we've spent most of it talking about free folk. <laughs> a little bit, a little <laughs> bit on Night's Watch, but mostly free folk. Yeah, let's not let's not talk much about the, the most OP faction ever, which is Night's Watch. We'll just uh, we'll. We'll talk a little bit and then uh, we'll move on. <laughs> well, I think I think Night's Watch is just pretty straightforward, right? There's, and I'm not I'm not trying to downplay it because I play Night's Watch, but it, 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 it's just really it's true. They're straightforward. They're very one dimensional. They can attack, and then they can attack, and then their next third best strategy is to attack. Um, that's really about all that they do. The the trick plays are the Sand United play onto Cold Hands. Uh, the tricky nature of do I kill Cold Hands and let him redeploy to a better position? Do I kill Cold Hands and risk triggering watches ended? Those are about the, the, the things that can happen. Like, other than that, it's pretty straightforward. They have Amon. You know that they're going to be able to heal. Um, you can try to wait until the end of the round to attack so that they can't stitch some of it back up with Amon. You know that hunters are fast and they hit hard. You need to mind your positioning. And I'm not, I'm not saying that they're easy to beat, but they are very straightforward. There's not a lot that they're doing that you don't know about. Um, Sword in the Darkness, if you've, you know, it, that they, you only get panicked and vulnerable if you haven't activated. You can play around that to an extent, but they're generally going to open up and charge you. Um, but they don't have Warcry. That's their source of tokens if they're not running Ranger Trackers is the letters and their two Sword in the Darknesses. Other than that, they don't even have token play. They don't have token play. They don't have control. And they've just got a crap ton of offense and an, an NCU that heals an extra wound per destroyed rank. That's that's really it. <laughs> All that they do, nothing nothing super crazy. It's annoying, I guess, when they have seven cards attached. It, it can be, um, but it's public for you to know that they're there. Um, but yeah, I, there's. I mean, there's not much to say. You just they're, try to you hit them as hard as you can. Hit them as hard as you can. Double, triple, tap them, and they tend to fold up. Yeah, they're a heavyweight boxer. They're just going to walk up and just hit you and hit you and hit you and hit you until either you collapse or they do. And that's all there is to it. 
Okay, so moving on to Baratheon. Um, Baratheons have gained some traction. Uh, obviously, they're rated number three on stats. Um, but they have gained some traction in the meta, and that's largely because they got some buffs, but it's also because, you know, stealth buffs are a real thing. If you nerf certain things, or nerf, I don't like that word, but yeah, sure, nerf. If you nerf certain things that were very predatory to Baratheons, like the double crossbow offal, shitty for everyone, but in particular, slow Baratheons getting 11,000 thundering shots, yeah, it was bad for them, bad, bad, bad for them. So they benefited from that, but um, uh, they potentially benefit from less bladesmen. Uh, their morale is not super great, uh, but it was the mobility being around for everyone. You just don't see Flademan as much as you do anymore, so they're probably a little bit happy for that. But largely it's because of champions of the stack, let's be honest. <laughs> um, if you went around and asked people what units are OP, they're probably going to say uh, Ranger Hunters, uh, maybe Sworn Brothers, um, Frozen Shore Chariot, Fen Warriors, fucking champions of the stack. <laughs> like, Greyjoy Bowman, like, there's, they're pretty universally, people don't like champions of the stack. Um, they're two plus defense and five plus morale. They're tough as nails to move. They've got the potential to heal with Courtney Penrose or straight up deny you a zone because you can't afford to let them heal. And champions of the stack sit there and, and now they box. They used to just be like a tank that you couldn't move, but now they'll bust your ass too because of that vulnerable token. They've always got critical blows. Um, the kind of overlooked strength is they're 7-5. They're the only heavy cab that's 7-5. Uh, the Blood Riders are 7-6, but they're unique. Other than that, Knights, Castle Rock, Tully, Cab, Bladesman, they dropped a four dice. Hedge Knights, they dropped four dice. Champions of Stag sit at five. They're the only ones that get critical blows when they're not charging. So, yeah, Champions of the Stag can work your ass if you let them. Uh, and that's probably, like, if someone picked something from Baratheons that they would consider oppressive, it would be Champions of the Stack. Lightbringers are also very, very good. Um, but I think the, 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 the complaint would, would stem around the double Champions of the Stag with Glory Seeker kind of builds where they're engaged and whatever damage you do, the other one heals for them. And it just, yeah, it can get crazy. Um, yeah, I've even seen some triple cavalry that are nasty. Double champions of stack, Blademan, and then like Elden in Wardens. Uh, put a Glory Seeker in all three of those. Elden's got hardened. Like, let's just go, baby. Let's, let's just line up and fight. All three of my Cav heal each other. We're doing damage. Uh, running two NCUs, because why not? Penrose gives me three opportunities to piss you off from taking his own because you don't want me to heal my Blademan and champions of stag D3 plus two. Like, let's go. So dealing with Baratheons, um, sometimes, and I know this makes me a coward, which is fine, but sometimes to beat Baratheons, you just run away. Uh, if you can kill a unit, cool. If you've got an opportunity to get three, four uninterrupted attacks onto Champions of Stag, you can put some tokens down and uh, maybe get rid of them, go for it. Uh, charging into them with no way to really double tap, triple tap. I think you almost need a triple tap to get rid of the champions of the stack. Like, just don't do it. It's just not smart. <laughs> it's better. 
to have them charge you, I think, than to get engaged on their side of the field where they're close to their friends and, yeah, just beat the crap out of you. So, obviously, we've talked about it on previous small council episodes, but uh, at Adepticon, Gary was just taking people's lunch money with Baratheons. Like, he just steamrolled to get to uh, basically the top, one of the top tables going into round three before the final round. And, yeah, I didn't fight him. <laughs> I ran from him. The mission was here we stand. I did due diligence to get rid of what I could. I killed the Wardens with Braun. Couldn't kill the Champions of Stag. Once I realized it was an exercise in futility, I just started retreating. Uh, you know, kill me. Do, do your worst. Kill me. Um, but I'm not going to sit here and attack you, take four hits from overgrowth, and then put myself in a worse spot. And sometimes that's what you have to do. It sucks. But sometimes you just don't engage. Play the mission. If they're running triple calves, get your infantry on, on objectives, and they've got to get you down to the last rank to contest you. Play the attrition game. Beware of final strike. And just try to force them to raw damage overpower you, and they probably can't most of the time. Um, going into them can, is, is, is and can be a pretty – it can be and most of the time is a trap. Uh, you've also got to be mindful when you do a charge, like, oh, man, I've got, I've got a flank charge into uh, Champions of the Stack. I've got Thundering. I can make them vulnerable. I'm going to try to do as many wounds as I can. Sometimes that's not the most ideal. Probably their best card is final strike. So you've got a kind of like a similar situation where you've got to debate what to do with cold hands. Sometimes you have to debate what to do with Baratheons. Sometimes it's more beneficial to deal them four to five than to deal them eight or nine. If you make them spend final strike on four to five wounds, that's better than taking nine, ten hits back. So there can be situation where there's validity to saving your token for the follow-up attack when you don't have the charge bonus and you're likely to do less hits. Then you spend the vulnerable to push all of those hits through, but you're preventing them from, you know, doing as much damage to you as you did to them. So that's, that's kind of where I stand with, with Baratheons. And if they've got the Glory Seeker and their commander or whatever's in a unit of Rose Knights. If you haven't gotten rid of the Glory Seeker, you better just stay the hell away from the Rose Knights. Just it's gonna it's gonna be bad if you try to get rid of the Rose Knights and they've got the ability to attack you, heal the Rose Knights, deal you a wound, then the Rose Knights attack, they heal, they deal you a wound, they're gonna auto wound you to death. And it's the same with Ray Lord Faithful. Ray Lord Faithful are in they can use the face token to get precision and vicious, I think. Um, if you don't have ranged attack, sure. Let them try to kill you. Don't go charge into Raylor Faithful and deal them seven, eight, nine wounds, and then they final strike you, and then you want to kill them, but now you're taking six hits every time you attack them. And when you're down six, seven, eight, nine wounds from a final strike, now they can kill you. But other than that, they're going to charge you. They've got seven dice. Whatever. It, it can be better. Um, if, they've got, if they're running that combo where they've got the Dragonstone or the um, Stagnite Noble in them, 
they've got police and Shireen, and then they've got a unit of archers. Like, yeah. Stay the hell away, because every pass morale test is going to do you two wounds. If they've got Melisandre to force a panic test, they can go Melisandre and panic the Raylor face and take two wounds. Resolve Melisandre, you took another panic test. Then go to the sword, shoot into the combat. Raylor face will pass the panic test, take two more wounds, and whatever the archers did. Like, yeah, you're screwed. I mean, ask me how I know. How do you did, know? Did you guys want to ask? Huh? I said, how'd you know? Uh, because I made it to the finals of a German event, and I faced a pretty solid player that you don't really see as much as you used to. And, um, I, I don't want to butcher his name, but I think it's Marcel Fassbender. Um, and he was playing... It was like towards the end of 1.6, and it was kind of universally understood that everyone would run not awful, you know? Like, it was going to be a fun-natured event. And so I was running Lannisters with no archers. It was a high sparrow, like, all tablet. And I ran into double Raylor Faithful with um, Sagnite Nobles, and he had Lisa and Shireen and Tycho, I think, were his NCUs. And he had a unit of Storm Crow archers. And I couldn't get to the Storm Crow archers. And he had Stannis, the rightful heir, in a unit of Warden. Tried to kill them, I couldn't. So then the rest of my cavalry kind of went into the Relore Faithful. And then, yeah, they just died to passive wounds. Like, just died. He didn't even have Melisandre, but he still just destroyed me with uh, passing panic tests and uh, dealing me to wounds. Fun times. What's your advice, Dave? Well, as far as, like, what I plan to do to take care of it, uh, that's kind of why I decided to run the uh, the Walrus Chieftains and my Raiders. Uh, you know, that unit, as you know, I already kind of mentioned, they're extremely hard to kill for a five-point unit that gives no victory points. So if you're free folk, maybe considering a unit uh, of that, and then you don't even have to really retreat. If you tie up their champions with stag pretty much all game, I mean, uh, that's a win in my book. Uh, but as for Brassians, uh, like, in general, like, what to do to deal with them, um, I would say, uh, sorry, I'm trying to merge here. I would say it really depends on what you're facing. It's their, uh, all the busts that they got have given them so many avenues to be competitive. Um, I would say thing to consider, you know, I know I hate the Mel bomb, um, I just hate any sort of, like, orbital strike effect from NCUs, whether it be Mel, Awful, whoever. But one thing to consider, you know, Mel is doing potentially a max of five wounds outside of maybe some other buffs, you know, like a intimidating presence. Um, you know, really just try to think to yourself, okay, 
they're spending five points into the sense you, what can I do to mitigate that damage? Uh, whether it be, you know, taking the wealth zone, having having a way to heal yourself through your own effects, um, you know, because Mel can be game-changing, or she can be a point sink, especially if you're making those uh, morale tests. Um, you know, mentioned it on one of the other episodes when we were talking about the one of the usefulness, uh, useful cards uh, for Eric Ironmaker, commander who isn't ever really seen. Uh, you know, he has a card that allows you to auto-pass a morale test if you spend a pillage token. Well, that's uh, pretty huge, you know, if you have, not, I'm not even necessarily saying him in particular, but just any one or anything that lets you auto-pass morale test, having those on hand and ready, um, anytime your opponent has a has an effect that's, like, pivotal, whether it be a final strike that you need to counter counterplot or uh, Mel that you need to auto-pass or panic, uh, don't be too eager to use your limited effects, let's say counterplot, you only have two of them usually, or uh, let's say with Mel, if you have a card that lets you auto-pass, you know, it, it hurts to kind of hold on to these cards sometimes, especially if you need to fish for other stuff, but those effects are usually, can be game-changing, that holding them for when those happen can be worse you know, the investment of holding on to the card. And Mel is a little, you know, Mel is going to happen every round, so I guess you don't really necessarily have to hold on to that card to uh, or effect to auto-pass. But, um, you know, just in those instances, uh, I would say Baratheons are very reactive. You know, they have a lot of retribution-style effects. They'll always be always be calculating before you go rushing into a combat of what the net outcome of the battle is going to be because some of their retribution effects will do just as much or more damage to you than you will do to them, and sometimes they haven't even activated yet. So just keep that in mind. Um, you know, the running Axle Commander, you know, and then, you know, a handful of other effects, like they can really maximize on uh, the amount of retribution effects that can happen with, uh, yeah, Axel Commander, Faithful, uh, Lore Faithful, um, the Final Strike, and just a bunch of other stuff. Uh, Rathy Conviction for the Panic Test. So. Yeah. Yeah, I would echo. Go ahead. No, you go ahead because you haven't talked yet. All right. See, I would just echo that. Um, just just keep backing up. Bounce off of them. Uh, they they want to be reactive, so don't let them be reactive. Um, something else I've done, I've used a Stark List, uh, Eddard, and then two Calvary units with Rally Cry, and then if you can match their healing, you can kind of stonewall them a little bit. Uh, be careful handing out tokens because they they have the ability to throw them right back at you. Uh, really, the only token I ever try to hand out to them is weakened. I'm not going to attack them anyway, so I don't care if I'm weakened. And if they're weakened, they're not hurting me because they, they they don't hit very hard if they're weakened. Um, you're probably going to out uh, outnumber them. 
uh, activation-wise, so use that to your advantage. If you do have to fight somebody, you should be able to double-tap people. Um, something else is things that stack wounds. Um, intimidating presence, precision, you know, things that ignore their saves. If you have a tool that ignores their saves, then, you know, like everything else, they crumble fairly easily. And usually once they lose a unit, similar to Night's Watch, once they use one of their key units, they're kind of done. Uh, yeah, so I think I think the, the overall point is, like, yeah, the Baratheon can still kill you. So don't take me as saying, like, oh, never attack them and you'll win the game. But if you can spread them out, right, like particularly in, in a five mission or a, a five token mission, if you can spread them out, get two on the outside, <clears throat> if you're fast enough and you capture one that's on their side, and you don't let them kind of fight together, the odds are they're not hyper-offensive, so you can probably get... You can outscore them by playing it for the most part. Um, and, yeah, just overall, particularly the things that I mentioned, the combos that I mentioned, just running into them, it's, it's similar to playing free folk. You're playing their game. Baratheons want you to come to them. They want you to get stuck. And then they want to beat the crap out of you with retribution hits, archers if they've got them, um, or just the champions grinding you into a bloody pace. Um, Don't be afraid to retreat. Go on that objective. Give yourself as much of your trade as you possibly can. Let yourself have two retreats. You most likely out-activate them. Even if they get you down to where they can contest you, retreat from them an inch away. Still take the token. Next round, repeat. Retreat. An inch away, you still control the token. If you do that to them three times and they can't kill anything, you're scoring three, they're scoring two. And if they're, if they're trying to match you on objectives as well, they, they don't have the resources. So you'll just outscore them. Nine to six, uh, final score is 12 to eight. If they kill a unit, or maybe, you know, be generous, they kill a unit, maybe it goes like 11 to nine or something. But if you have to win, that's what you do. You don't have to table everybody. You don't have to get crushed every time. You just win. And that can be the strategy to be interacting is to just deny them what they want to do. And especially if they're running those four, two, six activation lists. If you spread them out, they don't have the mobility and the resources, even with champions of the stack, to come get you. Uh, against Baratheons, you can lay bogs, uh, lay low walls lay, you know, anything that you can to get a defensive advantage. If I'm running like Donald Noy into Baratheon, I'm putting a forest dead center. Donald Noy is going into that forest onto the token, and you're not going to kill him. And that's fine. You can send two units into him. I don't care. Two Baratheon units aren't going to be able to kill Donald Noy vets that are sitting in a forest. So that, I know not everybody has that, but Everybody does have things that could tank. Uh, if you're a Stark player, you could surprise them with, you know, Tully Sworn Shield. They're not a very common unit. Stuff with Harden. Baratheons have a really hard time with Harden because they're just trying to push through all the damage and the vulnerable and stuff. But if you are staying locked in with them, they're probably not going to be able to kill you. Um, they struggle with, like, Lannister Guardsmen because they don't necessarily have stuff to bust up armor. 
so you can Lannister supremacy them and get them wounded that way. They can't final strike you on a Lannister supremacy. Uh, there's definitely ways to skin that Baratheon cat. But I think I think the people that have the biggest problems with Baratheons just try to match them and just go toe-to-toe. If you just line up across that type of list and you engage one unit one-on-one, one unit one-on-one, one unit one-on-one, one, two-on-one, you're probably still going to lose. They're, they're going to beat you in that grind. So I don't think that's the smartest way to face them. Everybody happy with that? Never. <laughs> so let's, let's just cover, like, the four quote-unquote big bad. And this is less of a faction and more of a commander. Uh, let's do Drogo. Drogo is popular. He's going to be seen. People like Targs. People are going to run Drogo because why the hell wouldn't you run Drogo? Um, depending on what army you're facing, Drogo, uh, what army you're playing, Drogo can be your nightmare. Drogo is unique in that the list that he builds, the list that he wants to play, is a very hard counter to Nightwatch and Free Folk. Like, when I'm playing those two factions, I think my worst matchup beside each other, like, when I play Free Folk, I don't really want to play Night's Watch. When I play Night's Watch, I don't really want to play Free Folk. But other than that, it's freaking Drogo. Drogo, Expert Duelist, Barrison Selmy, Illyrio for Healing, Fast Archers, Double Tapping Veterans, Hard to Capture Jorah. It's, it's a bad list to face. Uh, the, like the Jon Snow Double Hunters list, that's a bad matchup for me. That's bad. Um, they've got the means to get to me quickly, close the gap, and get Drogo in, kill my attachments, and then just fire in with Outriders to clean me up. It's not, it's not a good match. It's bad business. Um, Drogo with Selmy is surprisingly controlling. I, I, think, I think probably everyone has faced this type of list. Um, they've been around for all of 1.6, or excuse me, for all of 2021. They didn't really change that much. The Blood Riders got, you know, they, they caught the adjustments that they caught. Dragons got taken down a peg, so you don't see the occasional dragon in a Drogo list that you used to see before, but for the most part, it functions pretty much the same. It's almost all Dothraki, if not all Dothraki. Maybe it has Yura, maybe it has Harakars, maybe it doesn't have either, Maybe it's two NCU, maybe it's three. You're almost always seeing Selmy. Illyrio, I can't remember ever seeing any Targ list ever in 2021 without Illyrio. Don't think I've ever seen it without him. Um, so that's the thing. And Selmy is almost always there as well. Uh, Selmy can block orders, so he's blocking Relentless for Nightwatch. Against Free Folk, he can block Sentinel. He can go on his own units to block There's Too Many. He can block hold line. Uh, there's a number of things that they want to do that he can block. Uh, he can just block the coordination tactic before it even gets to that point, uh, block regroup and reform. If you're playing Greyjoys, he tell me goes down on the unit that they're going to kill, and you don't get what is dead may never die. Um, you know, just stuff like that. Uh, very, very strong. Tell me is very good into specific matches. Drogo is mobile. Drogo has extra bullets. He's normally in Men. You will still see him in Blood Riders occasionally. Um, they're mostly running him in Blood Riders to give Warcry 
to their naked unit equipment. Um, that way that they can push the damage from the plaidmen and the panic damage from those tokens. Um, so the composition after that is going to be different. Um, Carlo runs and has run this variety that Drogo and Plaidmen, uh, Dothraki veteran, uh, mercenaries with a uh, unsullied officer, Jora, and then he runs Tycho, Selmy, and Illyria. So it counts as eight activations, and then he's got Selmy to shut off your pseudo activation. So a lot of the times you're out activated by them, and they've got Drogo, who's an absolute monster leverage piece. So it can be really I, I think that list ideology is kind of gathering steam and, and pushing forward into the meta. I know you've run some level of variant of that, but other people will run Drogo Bloodriders, Blademen, and then basically the same little pieces. But you're our resident Targaryen player, Craig, uh, so why don't you kind of take off with that one? Um, give an idea of how the ganging up works. Is there really much that you can do about it? Um, how do you counter it? What do you have to go for a kill? Is it better to try to focus Drogo down? Or do you want to kill the army around Drogo and try to make Drogo single-handedly kill you? What, what's your take on it? Uh, the answer to all of your questions is yes. Do all of those things. Uh, any one of those things isn't enough. So if you go to try to focus Drogo down, you're going to pump resources into doing so. He's not going to kick the bucket very easy. Um, Like you said, Illyrio's there. So let's say you get an alpha shot on him. You hit him real bad. He's hurt and bleeding and engaged, and you're like, ha-ha. And then they Illyrio, they've got three wounds back, and now you're weakened, and now you're stuck staring at Drogo. (laughs) And he's pissed. So he, he's hard to bring down, and while you're doing that, the rest of their list, depending on how it's constructed, is tearing you apart. Um, if you ignore Drogo and try to attempt the rest of the list from tearing you apart, again, depends how it's constructed. Um, you, you mentioned Carlo's build, which is a good build, scary build. Um, it's a little bit... So the vets are nasty. <laughs> I would almost... Uh, yeah, I'd make them a target. But apart from that, I mean, it's slower than an all Dothraki list. So it's got one, it's another one of those lists with a couple of threats. Again, very good list. Um, but the approach is a little bit different in that you can focus on one or two units. Um, if they're running an all Dothraki list, although only they probably don't have the activations that um, Carlos list will have. Uh, so they're probably not going to out-activate you, but they're going to be everywhere at once. And although no one unit, apart from Drogo, will ever do much damage to you, uh, if you're running a list that doesn't have the same amount of speed as theirs does, uh, free maneuvers, movement six, blah, 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 they're going to be double and triple teaming you. <laughs> you either focus on preventing that and take Drogo up the up the butt, or you try to knock out Drogo and take the rest of the list up the butt. So what you want to do, it depends on scenarios too. Um, a lot of scenarios that have objectives with only three ranks, 
or, or where you control based on your ranks. If you have an infantry army, you actually have a huge advantage there. Um, you can force them to come to you, force them into traps, um, whatever your your faction's trick may be. Um, that That's kind of how you do it. Another way to build for them is, well, you mentioned Selmy shuts this off, Selmy shuts that off. Well, he doesn't shut anything off if you don't bring it. I know that sounds weird, but if your list relies on things like orders, if your list completely relies on tactics cards going on certain units, Selmy's going to see that, or, or their opponent's going to see that and Selmy it. Um, if you limit that and your list is built more on raw stats, um, for example, Champions of the Stag, you know, high armor, blah, 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 or um, whatever it may be, a lot of attack dice, whatever, things that can't be shut off. Um, another key thing when facing Drogo is if you have an attachment that is absolutely key to your list, and this this, this kind of obvious goes without saying, but hide him <laughs> at all costs. But if you're anticipating facing Drogo, make sure you have a list that doesn't rely on attachments. If If there's no attachments for him to snipe, he's just doing one extra wound. Yeah, it's, it's nasty, it hurts, but it's not near as bad as, say, losing Eddard or Mance or w- whatever. You know, a key part or losing uh, an uh, a unsullied officer. You know, things like that. So that's, um, that's pretty much it to build for it. Just uh, no attachments and not very many orders so that they can't shut your list off. What about you, Dave? What's your take? I know I know. since 2021, you are maybe the single biggest expert duelist hater. Yeah, and I've learned, you know, the kind of just a, an addition to what Craig said about hiding your valuable uh, attachment is kind of the flip side of that is if, let's say, uh, you have two lists that have lots of attachments and you not running any attachments isn't really a great option. Let's say for free folk, free folk heavily rely on their attachments. Uh, just accept the inevitable. And your best bet is to then try to force Drogo into the attachments you care least about. Um, and... You know, and then just, like I said, accept the fact that that attachment is gone and then just mitigate Drogo from, you know, uh, sniping an attachment, retreating, sniping another attachment, retreating. Not that that strategy is amazing, but it can happen and could, depending on your list, really screw screw up your strategy. But I would say, you know, just don't stress too much and just accept that, you know, an attachment or two might be dying. Um, but with that said, I think Targaryens uh, excel at fighting hybrid uh, lists, the lists that are neither super defensive nor super offensive. At least that's been my experience when I just even facing them. Uh, I find the most success when they charge into me and do nothing, you know, uh, as in if I'm running super defensive. And then the same thing is if I have super offensive, then it's kind of just comes down to, uh, you know, 
because more often than not, uh, the Targaryens are going to be super offensive. They're going to be mostly Dothraki units, from my experience, at least for high competitive. And then you're asking yourself, okay, who's going to be more offensive? And then, that, though that's not necessarily an answer to them, that is still something that kind of will make a Targaryen player think twice if you're just as aggressive as them, or even possibly more. So it's those hybrid lists where the the Dothraki slash Targaryen lists really excel because they know they're going to crash in and do a lot of damage, and you're not going to do enough damage back to make it uh, to really even the tides. You know, it's, you know, because more often than not, they're going to get to choose their battles, and, you know, they're just really going to excel if you're just, if you're not amazing in any one good thing. Um, I've found that really, you know, it, the more you play the game, the more you really realize that, you know, diversifying your two lists is huge. Um, and, for example, like my two lists uh, are in both factions I plan to bring, Gen Con, are completely different from each other, like, completely. Uh, for example, my Greyjoy list, one is nine activations and only my commander as an attachment. Um, that is partially to do with Expert Duelist, but it's not like I was aiming more for the high activations than I was no attachments, and then just coincidentally no attachments helps you uh, with having more activations. So, uh, But then my other list has nothing but attachments in like every unit. Um, and instead of focusing on more activations, it's like hyper-aggressive with uh, healing, like, you know, maximizing every ounce of healing you possibly could in a, in a Greyjoy faction. Um, you know, every unit has a way to self-heal. Every NCU heals. Every, everything heals. So it, it really comes down to your two lists and diversifying them. That will not only help you with whatever faction you plan to, uh, or whatever faction you might face, um, but it will also help you with whatever mission you might be facing. Um, and just try to keep, you know, keep in mind the key points of your list, whether it be high activation, high or low attachment, um, high or low morale uh, for some of those missions that require you to hold on to objectives uh, until you fail morale test and so on. Um, and, you know, whether or not you're going to go super offensive, super defensive. Now, there, with that said, there is a merit, there is uh, some merit to running of super uh, like hybrid, like, you know, middle of the road list that can really help you in a lot of cases. I just don't think Targaryen is one of them. Mm. Okay. Well, we can move on to the first dark horse. Um, let's go Lannisters. Okay. Just a second. Sorry. Sorry, talking to Harris. Um, Lannisters have gained some traction. I think a large reason for that is uh, Adam and Kevin are very strong. Um, I think additionally, I, I haven't really been tracking what Lannister players are primarily running, but I would imagine that Common is helping as well because bribery in the right match 
is such a strong card. Um, if you can control when you get it, I think that's a huge advantage to the uh, to the Lannister players because bribery on Ranger Hunters, for example, is so hardcore. Like knocking them down to four attack dice with the ranged and the melee. It's good against Dothraki Zed. even good against like, Drogo. Um, some factions, it's less effective. Free folks don't really care if their raiders go down to four attack. Uh, the chariot is immune to it. Um, you know, Greyjoys, for the most part, they're not beating you with, like, the silence men and stuff. They're beating you with the bows, who are still fairly effective with four dice. So, some matches, it's not the greatest thing in the world, but um, I think Tommen's strong. I think Kevin, with in crossbows, with brawn crossbows, is a very popular build. You've got three different zones that you can get free attacks from. If you've got Peter Baelish and you go first in a round, as long as your archers aren't engaged, you're guaranteed two free shots no matter what your opponent does. Um, he also has seeing their flaws, which is situationally very strong. You are seeing a rise in Iron Makers. Seeing their flaws on Iron Makers drops them down to four plus defense. You see Iron Makers with Asha takes away her morale bonus. Very strong. Um, predictable maneuvers, also a very very strong card. Uh, just like man, if they can trap you and force you to activate with a unit that's engaged, you have to take an action. Except for maybe this time. Uh, Knights of Castle Rock are retreating, and now they're going to be able to charge you again. Very, very strong. Um, and then Adam, obviously, he's got Hardened. He's got a card that does a crazy amount of healing across the army. And then he has Lash Out. Um, I think it's... Uh, he's got a card that's similar to Renly's Storage, Oyster Charisma. That might even be what the card is. Uh, it's just... It's just good. Um, sorry for Eric. Um, she's excited. Um, but that said, some of those things are factors um, that are helping Lannisters. But I, I think overall, they're kind of just a dark horse anyway because Lannister Guard are highly undervalued and underappreciated. Like, yes, they have very bad men. Yes. They can, you can push through Lannister supremacy and then just lay it on them and get rid of them. But I played against Jesse. He brought a five combat unit to NCU list. And I ran into him at two tournaments. And we went, we split the games with each other. Um, and I was running Night Watch in both. Uh, the first game, I just couldn't kill him. Uh, and then the second game, I had a little bit better fortune. I was running John as commander instead of Donald Moy, so that helped a lot. But um, That said, Lannisters can be very good. I think the Tywin NCU bomb with double heavy cavalry is incredibly scary, um, particularly because you have a meta currently that tends to lean into and favor these highly effective... Uh, offensive units that don't have great defense. Uh, Ranger Hunters. Foreign Brothers have decent defense, but it's not setting the world on fire. Um, Silence Men. Iron Makers, again, uh, they would lose their defensive ability. 
Dothraki veterans, even Drogo and Slayton, if he gets blanked, he's not going to be real happy about taking the four hits, being vulnerable, and panic, getting charged by Slayton or Nike Castle Rock. Not going to be very good. And in return, he won't be able to do much on the attack back because he won't have extra duelists to do wounds. He won't have intimidating presence. He's in Blood Riders. He would use Warcry. So, overall, it's the Dothraki unit. The Outriders or the Screamers or the Veterans. If they get Tywin bombed and then charge, chances are they're dead. Um, Blademan or Knights Castle Rock should like them. And that's problematic for factions that are relying on those units not being one shot, right? Uh, particularly, again, Night Watch. Uh, Ranger Hunters with Watch Captain, if they get Tywin bombed and charged, that's 10 points gone off the board. Uh, and a huge portion of their army. Uh, it's very scary. Um, you don't see it very often, but it's just one of those matches. It's like a skew list. It's a it's something that can really just disrupt what you're doing. I think the reason that it's not a bit more prominent, because I've mentioned some matchups that it's great in, but like against threefold, they, they don't really care. You know, you're going to blank Torment or something and, and one-shot him, that's fine. They've got the bodies to overcome that, and you, you've spent your six-point NCU to kill a four-point unit. Um, the chariot, you don't even need to do the hit to the chariot. If you, if you charge, it's probably dead. Um, that said, I would think that you would be running the double crossbow heavenless against three players anyway. But I'm afraid of that. There's, when, it, when I play Nightwatch, I, and three players, really, I greatly, um, I greatly fear the Kevin crossbow, the double crossbow, because as we mentioned, they've got four plus defense. The traps are less effective against that. I fear the Tywin heavy cab bombs when I play Nightwatch because uh, it can be hard to pin them down. If they've got Tyrion commander for cunning ploy, even if you pin them down, they can retreat with cunning ploy and then Tywin bomb you. So it, it's really scary. Um, and I, I, I think it's possible that you'll see it, and it, it's definitely a dark horse. Is it super reliable enough to make it to all the way through the event and beat everybody? I don't know. That's probably another reason you don't see it too often. It's good in certain matches, but maybe not like an, an endurance fight. It's not necessarily going to make it all four rounds and win. But could it screw up like your plans, like you as a player, if you run into that list? You're running Night's Watch, you're running Tars, something like that. Can it disrupt what you were going to do? Absolutely. Uh, it can knock you out of the fight. And, you know, maybe you had a perfect solution to everybody else, and Tywin is your skew. Uh, you're screwed. <laughs> like, it, it, on a single elimination, if you lost, you're out. I don't want to draw Tywin. <laughs> if I make it to day two, single elimination, I don't want to see Tywin. Uh, I need you to go ahead and knock that out for me, Craig. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Tywin is what I would have brought up, too. Um, in, in addition to having Roos Commander, um, you can't do anything. I mentioned with uh, Sell Me that if you're facing that list, the less your list re- um, relies on orders and, uh, and other abilities that can be shut off, the better. And the same is true here, except... Selmy can shut off one per round. The Lannisters, 
with Tywin and, and Roos, they essentially have four counterplots, more or less. You know, they're shutting off abilities. They're doing those auto-hits, or Ty- Tywin's doing those auto-hits to that solo that you're, that key solo you're using. And, yeah. So, the other thing about Lannisters in an event like this is usually if someone's ballsy enough to bring Lannisters, they're probably a really good player. And so you're not going to get any breaks on them making mistakes. And all it takes is, is one slip-up on your part, and they're moving on and you're not. So, yeah, I agree with you completely. Tywin's scary. Roost Tywin's scary. So we'll see what happens, I guess. Hopefully I don't run into him. Dave? Yep. Hello? Okay, sorry, I'm back. I'm sorry, so what was the question? Uh, We're discussing Lannisters as a dark horse in particular with Tywin NCU, but overall I think Kevin is a very strong commander, and and back to my discussion about maybe they couldn't be the endurance fighter that makes it the round, I think Kevin might be able to carry them through some of those bad matches where Tywin is just their elite buster. Yeah, I think uh, Adam, from what I've played, is you can either put him in Warrior Sons and almost make him unkillable, or uh, I think a better uh, investment is you can now, with him uh, and then some other uh, key stuff, I mean, Pyromancers are one of the scariest uh, units in the game, but they're a little on the fr- more fragile side. But you put uh, Adam in one of them uh, and then add in some more key uh, elements, and you can really drive it home. As you were mentioning with uh, Tommen, uh, funny you mention that, but I actually run Tommen all the time now. Um, between Tommen fishing uh, constantly f- uh, for bribery and uh, and running Pycelle for the weakened tokens, you can make your opponent be hitting like a wet noodle all game. Uh, you know, especially between the both of them. You use Pycelle to weaken one, because uh, a lot of times your opponent will have two heavy hitters uh, you know, you weaken one of them and you bribery the other. Um, your opponent puts all their eggs in one basket and has just one heavy hitter. You do both, you know, and now they're hitting with four or five dice at last rank at lowest dice value, and they're weakened. And now their heavy hitter is doing nothing, and you can just ignore them uh, a lot of the time. I mean, you, uh, for example, you could even throw that on Champions of the Stag and now truly not care about just sticking, like, a useless uh, whatever unit to tie them up. And they're even with that vulnerable token, I mean, five dice and they're weakened, I mean, they're going to be doing almost nothing. And it's a lot of times it's a nine-point unit because they have a Glory Seeker in there. So um, I think Common is definitely uh, at least over by me. And it's, from what I've seen, all the different Lannister players, it's definitely highly underrated. Uh, but even the fealty to the crown, um, and that's the other thing, you run those pyromancers, 
the pyromancers are going to be making sure that your opponent is not only failing those panic tests so that bribery stays on, so you can actually attack the thing that you put it on, and you'll be able to trigger fealty to the crown and start really healing. So Tommen and Pycel, not that Pycel is anything new, are really adding a ton of uh, defensiveness, not only in the way of reducing dice, uh, weaken tokens, and the potential of healing from fealty to the crown. And then Adam uh, adding defensiveness with his Harden, uh, Iron Resolve, his Tactics cards, um, which are all great. Uh, one of them heals. So I think just all of that alone, uh, you know, him and some Pyromancers, Pycel, Common, and then, you know, fill in the rest of the list with whatever suits, you know, your play style. And I think that's already a recipe for success. Well, we've only got like nine minutes to talk about the final dark board, which is dark. But I do want to mention, Dave, I 1,000% agree with you. I think Tommen and Pycelle, especially if you're leaning into what's popular right now for uh, Nightwatch in particular, it's a nightmare for Nightwatch in particular, <laughs> um, because you knock those Ranger Hunters down to four attacks, or the Sworn Brothers, because I'm likely to audible into my Sworn Brothers list. You take the Sworn Brothers, knock them down to four attacks, and weaken them, God, they're not going to kill anything. And then they're susceptible to supremacy and, and whatever else. So I think you're right. It's a very strong combo. Um, but let's go into Starks real quick. They're the final little dark horse. Um, I think they're similar to Lannisters. They're not exactly breaking the world down right now. They're good. They present some matchup issues. Um, I have, in fact, faced uh, Hand of the King when I was playing Nightwatch, and it, just as I predicted when we talked about him on Small Council, it was horrible. Uh, no Amon healing, no for the watch, no horse to retreat. Uh, really can't do crap for that unit. So if, if they knock that unit down to four or five wounds, I almost have no way to heal them unless I have Rally Cry or if I have magically take the black in hand the round that Eddard blanks me and I can kill something. Um, it is an issue. Um, not saying that it's overpowered, but it is an issue for not just that match, but it's an issue for Greyjoys who rely on Blind Baron and Windermere. And it can even be an issue for Targaryens who rely on Drogo's Assault Orders and Illyrio's Heal. You don't get either. That's very strong. Um, but aside from just that, you have they can get to eight activations and drop Tully Cavs as a piece to leverage. Um, now with Sansa being able to cycle cards over and over again, I've played Rob with Tully Cavs, and I just abuse Swift Retreat. I just abuse the crap out of it. Um, I go get it back. You charge my Tully Cavs. Cool. I retreat. Uh, now I charge you, and then guess what? I'm going to put Sansa on whatever zone, and I'm going to get it back, and we can do this over and over again. You're going to be you know, attacking me and probably not getting rerolls, but I'm going to retreat and I'm going to bust you in the face with lances. It's very strong. Um, I think Eddard is good. He presents matchup problems as well because of Sansa recycling Fury for the Fallen. You have to get rid of Eddard, but he can trigger Fury for the Fallen off of himself. So it can be an issue. Uh, they have generic hardened. Um, 
they're a well-rounded faction, and maybe that's why you don't see them, like, winning all the time. It's because they're just well-rounded. They do a little bit of everything. They might not be master of anything quite right at this moment, although their reworked deck is pretty gas. Uh, Northern Ferocity on dogs is disgusting, and even just a basic uh, Sworn Swords attack at last rank with Catelyn, and you throw in um, Winner's Might, and it's gross. Yeah, they're hard to get rid of. With Catelyn, you can't uh, you can't keep tokens on them that you need on them. And so with Targaryen, um, my defense is crap. So I try to limit the number of hits coming in, so I knock ranks off to do that is one way you do it. Well, not with Catelyn. It's like, okay, well, now I'm going to hit you harder, but with all my dice. So good talk. It's pretty scary. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think just the basic sworn swords, if you wanted to spam them with John Umber and you had Catelyn, their last stand would be full attack dice with rerolls and critical blows, hitting on a 3+. plus. Uh, yeah, that's not really what you want. <laughs> that's not what you want for killing something. They're, they're a candidate for you want to finish them off with a ranged attack as well. But you can't always do that. So, uh, not to mention, berserker tactics makes most things one-shottable with telecast. Sometimes even with shaggy dog. Exactly. I mean, that's a quick summary. We didn't get to go too much in depth on them, but that sums it up pretty well, I think. Yeah, we don't have time to really go in depth on them, which is unfortunate. But the larger point being, Shaggy Dog as a solo is one of the best. I think he's he's about in line with the Chariot and Cold Hands for how good he is. Um, Mountain that rides would maybe throw his name in the hat, but it's hard to argue with how effective Shaggy Dog is. Oh, sorry, Eris is going crazy again. Um, in particular, paired with Great John Umber, because you can charge something, play Berserker Tactics, kill your own dog, and then last stand. So you probably took, you know, five or six attack dice plus two or three wounds and that panic test. Then he dies and triggers his own last stand, and then you take eight attack dice. It's not great. Uh, I would 100% suicide Shaggy Dog to get rid of, like, Sworn Brothers, to try to play Drogo, anything. I mean, I'm going to throw my three-point unit. That's probably, if it doesn't kill you, it's probably doing eight to ten wounds. I would do that every single time. It's also hitting with Thundering and Vicious. Yep, and if you mix the Northern Ferocity in there, it's a D3 plus two for Failing Panic. So I think the are we? I think this we're going to run out of time in two minutes, but definitely yeah. not enough time to cover Starks. But if you do face a great John Umber list that has Shaggy Dog, you definitely need to be aware that the Shaggy Dog cruise missile is a real thing. It absolutely is. It's a strong, 
it's a strong play that's really hard to recover from. And I'm willing to bet we'll see at least one player doing it. Uh, guaranteed. Yeah, <laughs> you and I both, you and I both know exactly who that is. Yes, sir. Anything, Dave? Nope. I think uh, you guys pretty much covered it. Um, uh, it's unfortunate we can't uh, cover the rest of it, but uh, I think that's the gist of what you'd have to watch out for. Yeah, sorry. I had to put out a little bit of a fire in there. Um, yeah, it's, it's literally going to kick us off in the next probably 30 seconds or so, so we can just wrap it up. But um, it was a pretty good talk. Thanks for joining me, you guys. And uh, I hope everyone listening, even if it helps you in one of your matches, you know, just whatever we can do uh, to help out and kind of try to break up this meta a little bit, start hard countering some of these dominant meta pieces where we can. But with that said, I think I think we can I think we can just dismiss. We're we're out of time. See you all in a week. Yep, see you soon. Bye.